Uh, how we doing? Are we hanging in there okay? Kind of? Which voice do you have? Uh, we excommunicated Sal. <laughs> Sal, uh, Sal said he'd had enough and he's going to the lake. So he's going to be in the lake this weekend, and uh, I don't know if he has internet. Uh, he may have thrown everything, you know, all of his electronics in the river or something. Do people know that he moved? Sal, yeah, Sal and them, uh, Sal and Kathy moved to Fulcher, and uh, but he'll. Sal won't go away. Uh, Sal has been bugging me for 20-something years, and I've been bugging him for 20-something years, so, so he's not going away. Well, the reason why he said he moved <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that, that may be, that may be. Um, all right, we are, uh, it is, yeah, it's, no, it's plugged in, yeah, it's plugged in, we're up to 8% now, so we're, we'll make a comeback, um, Revelation, we're in Revelation. We're in Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. All right, well, let me open the word of prayer, and we will um, we'll get going. Lord, thanks for this morning. And uh, <coughs> excuse me for our time to, uh, to come together and, uh, and study. Uh, and uh, Lord, so pray that, uh, that during this time, the word would be clear, uh, our understanding would grow. Uh, so that uh, we would be changed people. So that's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Um, okay, Revelation chapter 20, 21. We are all the way to the end of the story, okay? Um, remember that uh, stories begin in the beginning and they go to the end, okay? So this, uh, in the middle, connects the beginning to the end. And so where we are now in chapters 21 and 22, this is where this whole story was going, okay, from the beginning. This was the, uh, the intended end at the beginning. Um, and everything in the middle gets you to this point, okay? Um, so there's a lot of imagery, a lot of, a lot of story that has already been told uh, that if you don't know that story, it's like picking up a, a, a mystery novel or uh, some some you know story and turn it to the last chapter and reading and going, oh, well, this doesn't make any sense. Well, of course it doesn't. Um, if you would start at the beginning, it would make make sense. Okay. But um, I want you to turn back to. We can't start in Revelation. <laughs> Uh, let's turn back to uh, Isaiah. Uh, let's look at Isaiah chapter of sixty five.
at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 65, um, you may remember this verse. Uh, this is, uh, Paul actually quotes this, these two verses, uh, 65, 1 and 2 in Romans <coughs> chapter 9, <coughs> excuse me, verses 24 through 26. He, he explains, I permitted myself uh, to be sought by those who did not ask, did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that did not, did not call on my name. Paul explains in Romans that this is talking about the Gentiles. Israel was always told to seek the Lord. The Gentiles throughout the Old Testament were never told to seek the Lord. Um, they were following their gods. Um, when you come to the New Testament, um, uh, seek and you will find and ask and you know all these. Uh, uh, this was talking about Israel. They were told to seek the Lord because they rejected the Lord. Uh, Paul takes the gospel to the Gentiles. You with me? Paul's explaining his ministry uh, that because of Israel's rejection, the gospel has gone to the Gentiles, and so the Lord permitted Himself to be found by those who did not ask for Him, uh, to be found by those who did not seek Him. So to a nation that did not call upon my name. That calling upon my name begins all the way back in, uh, in Genesis chapter 4. Enish called upon the name of the Lord. Okay? And all the way through that Old Testament, uh, Israel was calling upon the name of the Lord. Um, uh, Abram in chapter 12 of Genesis, immediately after his call, he calls upon the name of the Lord. Verse 2, verse 8. Um, and so this is something you see throughout the whole Old Testament. But then Paul explains in 65.2, I, uh, I continues, I have spread out my hands all the day long to a rebellious people uh, who walk in a way which is not good, who follow their own thoughts. Um, a people who continually provoke me to my face. Okay, so, so uh, verses 1 and 2, uh, God permits himself to be found by the Gentiles. Um, sorry, verse 1. Verse 2, uh, but uh, he has spread out his hand all the day long to a rebellious people. Who are the rebellious people? Now, does that mean Gentiles aren't rebellious? Well, they just rebelled earlier, right? They, they, from the beginning of the story, they had already rebelled. But God had chosen this nation Israel, <clears throat> set them apart, revealed himself to them, built them into a nation, and they rejected it. Okay? Is that making sense? That's the, that's the time that we're living in now. This time in the midst of Israel's rejection, the gospel going to the Gentiles. Okay? Uh, this is telling. Look at what Israel says just um, in verse 3. A people who continually pro provoke me to my face, offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on bricks, who sit among graves and spend uh, the night in secret places, <clears throat> who eat swine's flesh, and the broth of unclean meat in their pots, who say to me, keep yourself, uh, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am holier than you. How about that? That's, that's not good, right? Um, these, are like smoke, uh, these are like smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all day. Behold, 
it is written before me, I will not keep silent, but I will repay, uh, I will uh, even repay into their bosom, both their, uh, their own iniquities and the iniquity of their fathers um, before them together, declares the Lord. Because they have burned incense on the mountains, they have scorned me on the hills, therefore I will measure their formal work in their bosom. Thus says the Lord, verse 8, as the new wine is found in the cluster, uh, one uh, and one says, do not destroy it, there is benefit in it, so I will act on behalf of my servants. Um, my servants. Who are the servants? Okay. Um, the, uh, there are three ways that God reveals himself main ways that God reveals himself to Israel in the Old Testament. One is husband and wife. Who's the husband? God is. Who's the wife? Israel. Uh, the second is a father and sons I have reared, but they have rebelled against me. Who's the father? Who's the sons? Israel. Yeah, the third is master servants. Who's the master? Who are the servants? Did the servants serve? They rejected. Uh, and so in Isaiah chapter 49, the master becomes the servant to save the servants so that the servants will serve. Track that? Okay. So you have the suffering servant. Uh, there are, uh, if, if uh, in Isaiah, um, there are uh, passages, you might just draw uh, lines around these, uh, that are called the servant songs, the servant songs. These refer to Christ. Isaiah chapter 40, verses uh, 1 through 8. Okay. Interesting, right after um, Isaiah chapter 41 through 8, then the ministry of the servant, the suffering servant Christ, is declared on the mountaintop, on, the, uh, on Zion. Uh, by his disciples. They bring good news. That's where the gospel word comes from. That uh, in chapter 40, uh, verse 9 on Zion, bearers of good news, Evangelion um, in the Septuagint. Uh, o Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Okay. Uh, so it's 41 through 8. Then chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. 42, 1 through 9. Okay. The next uh, passage, uh, so these are the, uh, the servant, uh, servant songs, uh, is chapter 49, 1 through 13. 49, 1 through 13. That's the passage where the servant, Christ, comes and dies for the servant, Israel so that the servant Israel will take the gospel to the Gentiles. So Paul is identifying himself as a servant or a bondservant of the Lord. Does that make sense? Um, in the Corinthians, he's going to write to the Corinthians, he, uh, and he's, he's explaining to the Corinthians, the Gentiles, that, uh, uh, that uh, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, talking about himself, Paul, and, and those who are working with Paul. As though God were uh, entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of God, 
do not take the grace of God in vain, something like that. And then he says, for he made him who knew no sin, God the Father, made Christ who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we may be the righteous of God in him, and working together with him, we exhort you. Okay? The servant dies for the servant. The servant Christ, the suffering servant, the master becomes the servant to restore the servant so that the servant would be a light to the Gentiles. The kingdom of priests, the holy nation. Does that make sense? Uh, and this is Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. He views himself as a servant of the Lord. That's chapter 49. Okay? Chapter 50 is the next one. Chapter 50 uh, starts in verse 4. The Lord has given me the tongue of disciples. It's 11 o'clock. This is... Uh, the suffering servant who has been given the tongue of disciples. Which disciples? You know the disciples were in the Old Testament, did you? Yeah, sure they are. All right? Um, That's uh, uh, through uh, chapter 4 through the end of the chapter. Uh, through verse 11, 4 through 11, 50, 4 through 11. The next servant song is chapter 52, verses 13 all the way through the end of chapter 53. You know this one, right? Uh, Surely our griefs, uh, he himself bore our sorrows, he uh, carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, afflicted, and he was pierced through for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities, okay? Um, who's the we in all of this? Israel, Israel. Now. Can we say that Christ died for our sins as well? Yes. How did it how did it come to the Gentiles? Through Israel's rejection. Through Israel's rejection, the gospel has come to the Gentiles. This is uh, what the, the disciples realized in Acts chapter 10. Uh, with uh, remember the story of Cornelius. Peter is in Joppa. He has just healed. Tabitha or Dorcas, uh, little girl, raised her from the dead. Uh, he's on. Uh, he's staying at Simon the Tanner's house. Do you remember the story? And he sees the visions of the sheets coming down from heaven. He was contemplating these things. And uh, the Lord told him not to regard as unholy that which the Lord has cleansed. And then three men from Cornelius are knocking on the door. He goes uh, to, to Cornelius' house, shares the gospel with them. They received the Holy Spirit of promise, which was promised to Israel in the Old Testament. They believed it. Um, this is all backdrop for Galatians. Um, um, Roger, right? remember, just make perfect sense. Um, they believed it. And so uh, then the, all of the disciples come together in chapter 15 of Acts and conclude that the Lord has given the Holy Spirit of promise, which was promised to Israel, to the Gentiles. He has granted to the Gentiles repentance that leads to life. Those who did not seek him, the Lord allowed them to find him. Does that make sense? Okay. So that's how um, uh, John will say it this way in 1 John. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Right? Ephesians chapter 1, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul explains how the promised Messiah of Christ came to die for Israel through his blood. 
they have been reconciled. And through the same blood of the cross in chapter 2, the Gentiles have been brought in to the same body. Is this making sense? So our theology is one thing. That's what we conclude. So we would conclude that Christ died for our sins. Absolutely. How the story gets there is the story says Christ came for Israel. Israel rejects. The gospel comes to the Gentiles. If you go back earlier in the story, you'll remember uh, that the promise of Messiah, the promise of one to come and die for sin, was a promise to all of Adam, Adam and Eve's descendants. That promise then is traced through Israel for the nations. And so as you read the story and as the story progresses, you realize how it is that the Christ who comes to die for the sins of Israel because of their rejection, and now the gospel is being carried to the Gentiles, how all of that goes back and fulfills the beginning promise for all the nations. Does that make sense? All right. So we're just tracking this right through. We good? Promised Adam and Eve, traced through Abram, for Israel, but not only for Israel, also for the nations. And it is through Israel's rejection, the gospel, the good news of Christ's deliverance, not only for Israel, has come to the nations as well. Before it has not gone out to the nations. Why not? Because the Jews didn't take it. Right? Do you remember Jonah? I'm not too happy about this whole go to the Gentiles thing. But now Paul's going to the Gentiles. Making sense? Okay. So chapter 53, servant song. And then um, the, the last one that, they, that we really don't list as a servant song, and I don't know why. We meaning, I don't know people in seminaries or whatever. Uh, but chapter 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach uh, the good news to the afflicted. Sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus quotes this, is referring to himself. Um, do you remember when John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus? Jesus is, uh, John the Baptist is in prison. He sends, John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus and asks Jesus, are you the coming one or should we expect another? And do you remember how Jesus answers? Tell them what you've seen. That the blind see and the deaf hear and the lame walk. All of those are Isaiah restoration. Restoration of the blind of Israel so that the, they will see what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord. Um, restoration uh, of the deaf in Israel, so they will hear the word of the Lord. And the lame, so that they will uh, mount up on wings like eagles. They will walk and not grow weary. They will run and not be faint. Uh, they were left lame in a foreign land. And now they go, are going to be healed, and they're going to return to the promised land on highways. Second Exodus, they're all coming back. Okay, So tell them what you've seen, the, the blind see, the deaf hear, uh, the lame walk, uh, the dead are raised, and before we have the gospel preached to them. Isaiah chapter 61. Is that tracking? Okay. So people that weren't Jews, 
they believe the, the Jewish God or yes. God of the Jews. Yes. And, and that's how they became. Yes, and, and uh, yeah, and uh, and were became proselytes and kept the law. They became converts to Judaism. They didn't call it Judaism in the Old Testament. They just called it Jesusism. They just didn't know Jesus. <laughs> uh, Jesus, in the sense that Yahweh saves through the Son, He will save. So all of this has taken place. All of this story has already progressed. Isaiah is telling the story. Jer I'm teaching the prophets on whatever day it is. It's all, all that day. Sometime during the week, I'm preaching prophets or teaching prophets. Every prophet, this is what's being said. Okay? What is being foretold in the Old Testament is happening in the Gospels. And Paul is writing about it. Uh, John and James and Peter are writing about it in the epistles. And now it's coming to its conclusion. Okay. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 66, uh, the, those who did not seek the Lord are finding him. Uh, and now in chapter 65, did I say 66? 65, 1 through 7. Okay. Israel's rejection, the gospel going to the Gentiles, chapter 65, verse 8. Um, uh, the restoration of Israel, and I will bring forth offspring from Jacob and heir. Uh, of my mountains from Judah, where I'm in verse 9 now, 50, uh, 65 verse 9. Even my chosen, one, chosen ones will inherit it, and my servants will dwell there. And Sharon uh, will be a pasture land for flocks, uh, a valley of Echar, a resting a place for the herds, for my people who seek me. My people who seek me. All the way through the Old Testament. When you're reading uh, the Old Testament, my people, it always refers to Israel. Sons of men would refer to the Gentiles or nations, okay? Uh, but my people is Israel. So my people who seek me will be restored. Uh, but you uh, who forsake the Lord, who forgot my holy mountain, who set a table of fortune, um, uh, I will destine you for the sword, and you shall bow down to the slaughter, verse, uh, verse uh, 12. Because I called and you did not answer. I spoke and you did not hear. Uh, you did evil in my sight I, uh, and chose that in which is not a delight. Uh, therefore, says the Lord God, behold, my servants shall eat, but you will be hungry. When? When will the servants eat, but you be hungry? Let's think about that. Uh, do believers go hungry today? Do wicked people eat today? Okay, so this is still coming. Are you with me? My servants shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Now, remember this language, right? Um, um, at the end, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 25, at the end of the story, Jesus is separating the sheep and the goats. This is a judgment on the nation. This is before the kingdom, right? This is before the millennial kingdom, before chapter 20, which we did last week. Um, there are those who care for his servants, care for his disciples. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. Okay. Um, 
all of this is still talking about the same, same concept. But now in the kingdom, the Lord will provide. For none of his servants will go hungry or thirsty or poorly clothed or without shelter. Does that sound familiar to you? Uh, uh, Jesus preaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Okay. Um, um, seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness. So in the kingdom, seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. Um, what things? No one will be hungry, no one will be thirsty, no one will be without clothing or shelter in the kingdom because the Lord will provide. Until then, who provides for them? Until the kingdom, who is to provide for them? If you see your brother in need, what do you do? You don't. Okay. All right, back to chapter 65. Verse 14, Behold, my servants will shout joyfully with a glad heart, but you shall cry with heavy heart. Uh, and you shall wail with a broken spirit. And you shall leave your name for a curse to my chosen ones. And the Lord God will slay you. This is the return Revelation chapter 19, the Lord judges. Um, but my servants will be called by another name. Do you remember that? That was chapter 9. He returns with a name that only he knows, and then he's going to give these who endure a new name. That was back in, in chapter 2 and chapter 3 to these churches. You'll get a new name. Okay. Uh, verse 16, because... He who is blessed in the earth shall be blessed by the God of truth. And he who swears in the earth will swear by the God of truth because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hidden from my sight. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. For the former things will be uh, uh, shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and uh, be glad in my people. And there will ne be, no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping or the sounds of crying. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives only a few days or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die in the age of 100. And uh, the one who does not reach the age of 100 shall be called a curse. This is figure length. In other words, you know, there's, there's a length of days here. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, plant vineyards, eat their fruit. They shall not build and uh, um, another inhabit. Um, this is all Old Testament Israel. They would build houses. Others would, that was the judgment that would come upon. That's never going to happen again. They're never going to be judged again. Uh, you won't plant and another eat. Um, uh, I will, uh, and my chosen ones will wear out the work of their hands. Uh, and they shall not labor in vain or bear uh, children for calamity. For they are the offspring of those who are blessed of the Lord. Okay, so uh, verse chapter 66. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me, and where is the place that I could rest? For my 
hand made all of these things, thus declares the Lord, uh, who uh, thus these things have come into being. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite in spirit, who trembles at my word. Uh, humble and contrite, is that blessed are the humble, for they shall inherit the land, the translated earth, but it's the land, talking to Israel, who's going to inherit the, the land, okay? So this is how the story is going to end. In the millennial kingdom, thousand uh, year reign of Christ, then uh, the, the uh, well, let's pick it, pick it up now. Let's go over to Revelation chapter 21. Uh, I've turned a little too far. That's the concordance and maps. Go back a little bit. Okay. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And there was no longer any sea. Remember what we talked about last week, the sea is Satan's domain. Satan's got no place here. Why? He was bound for a thousand years. He was released for a short time, and now he's been judged. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down. Um, um, gosh, there's so many verses here that I'm flooding into my brain, but let me just try to keep my thought here. Uh, New Jerusalem coming down out of, of heaven from God, made herself uh, ready as a bride adorn, adorned for her husband. Bride imagery. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and they shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them, and he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and uh, there shall no longer be any death and no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Uh, he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He said, Write these words. Uh, write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Uh, I will give to one who thirsts. Uh, from the spring of water of life without cost. And he who overcomes shall inherit these things. Uh, overcomes. Do you remember that? That's back in chapter 2 and chapter 3 to the seven churches. Whoever overcomes. Uh, remember what we said? Do you remember that root word? It's actually one that's pretty easy to remember. That's why I asked you. Um, might have a problem with it these days, but uh, uh, this is the word Nike. So we get Nike shoes. What Nike means, overcome, the overcomer. Who is the overcomer? Christ is the overcomer, and you are the overcomer because you have placed your faith in Christ, and so you will overcome with him. Okay. Um, the uh, pastor in his sermon, uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 20, uh, when Christ, when, uh, when God puts all things in subjection under y'all's feet, that's what it says. Right? That's also uh, um, chapter uh, 19. Um, but I thought all things were put in subjection under Christ's feet. How do we get in there? 
if you're a believer, you are in Christ. What does that mean? In Christ? That's Paul language. Think Paul. More than identify with it, but yes, that's true. You are in Christ. Part of his body. How are you part of his body? You are part, you are a member of his body, the bride. Christ is the head, the church is the body. All, right? All of this imagery throughout the whole story of marriage is an illustration of Christ and the body, the church. Ephesians chapter 5. Okay? You are actually in Christ. You are a member of his body. You're not just a member of Champion Fellowship. Um, there are no passages in the Bible that talk about being a member of a local body. You are a member of Christ's body. Okay. You gather in a local gathering. That's what church means, ecclesia. But all of these local gatherings are parts, they are gathering of members of Christ's body. You are in Christ. We will rule with him. So in chapter 19, when the saints are coming with him, when all the holy ones are coming with him, there we are. So in the Presbyterian church, they do a greeting, a response Yes. I see in Creed. And it talks about believing holy church. Yes. But is that not the first? That's not what we call Catholic. Uh, well, yeah. So when they say uh, the uh, how do they say it? The um, Universal Catholic Church, or is that how they say it? I think just the Holy Catholic Church. Yes. So that just means the the whole body. So, in other words, I promise you, Presbyterians are not saying that if you're not in the Catholic Church, you're not in the body. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's not, yeah. Uh, they're talking about Catholic as universal. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So, uh, online question, just so we all hear it. So, what does Catholic mean? Okay, so we're here. We're talking about body. We're talking about we will reign with Christ. And all that. Okay, so let's sort all this out quickly. Well, maybe not so quickly. That's okay. But we. I promise you, next week, if we come back here, Revelation 21 will still be here if we're still here. Even if we're not here, Revelation will still be here. <laughs> okay, so um, so up until uh, 1,000, about 1,000 A.D., um, the church, for the most part, we'll, we'll set the Anabaptist discussion aside for a second. Um, the church... Um, they wouldn't think of it in, church, in terms of Catholic and Protestant because there were no, there were no protesters at this point. In 1000 AD, um, there's this thing that happens in the church. Um, uh, we've talked about this briefly, called the Great Schism. This is actually the first church split. Okay? And this is where the Catholic, what we would call the Catholic Church now, Church in Rome, split uh, from the Eastern Church. 
there were basically five seats of church fathers, kind of church hierarchy. If there was a question, it kind of moved up the chain of authority. And, and there were basically five areas, five regions that would come up to uh, a certain church. Jerusalem would be one. Uh, Antioch would be one. Constantinople would be one. Alexandria and Rome. Yeah. Appreciate that. Um, Rome is the only one in the West. The other four are in the East. There was a heresy called the Arian heresy, which was addressed in the East. And most of the heretics were driven out of the Eastern church and went West. The Roman church, the church at Rome, in order to address this situation, changed creed. Now that's a problem. Now, they were correct. Basically, what was at issue? This, if this makes any sense to you, great. If not, just let it go by and just get kind of a general, view it as a general introduction to church history and that's okay. okay. Um, what they did is they changed the creed to say that the spirit not only emanates from the father, but also from the son. And that is true. So they were correct in their assertion. The problem was not what they asserted, but how they went about it. They did not consult the other rest of the church. They just made this Every time before this in church history, the church would come together. If there was a problem, there would be an issue. They would hear it all out in a council, and they, they would make a proclamation in a creed, clarify these in creed. And all these creeds are throughout the church. They're just further clarifications of that which the church has always believed. And so they were correct in what they were asserting, uh, but the Eastern Church said, you cannot just go do whatever you want by yourself. Not exactly how they said it. That's what they said, but it's not how they said it. Okay. And the Roman church said, Oh, yes, we can. And the the leader of this church uh, appointed himself as the Pope, as the authority. He wasn't the only one. Several were running, you know, were making that claim. And all of these issues then in the West, issues that we are still dealing with today in church, began then. Okay. The question that arises then, a new question for the church is, who holds the, the Pope accountable? Of course, the Pope's answer is, God, there's no authority above me except Christ and God. <clears throat> kind of sounds like the typical Southern Baptist Church, doesn't it? All right. Um, how did we get here? It was a short path. Right. The same logic, this same problem is going to present itself in the West, in church, and in government. Because remember, um, in both sides, in the East and in the West, um, the church was appointing kings. Um, heard a quote the other day said uh, it's better to be the king maker than the king 
think it was, it was a reference to American politics, but nonetheless, <laughs> the standard still, the principle still stands. Is everybody, is everybody with me? Uh, and so, so what happens in the West? Let me just finish the story. See, if, uh, no, this will be unsettling. It's okay. This just, it helps us understand how we got here. How we're in, you know, champion fellowship, Baptist, but we don't want to say Baptist, church in Brenham, whatever. How do we get we didn't sign up for this. We just walk in, and some of us come from Lutheran backgrounds, some of us come from Presbyterian backgrounds. How do we get here? What is going on? Okay. So the question is, who controls the Pope? The Pope says, I control the Pope. I'm the boss of you. You're not the boss of me. Basically, that's how it goes. And they reject the Eastern Church. The East continues to operate on more of a, not more of, they operate on a, um, corporate mentality. Um, problem in one area of the church, the other area of the church would help. Uh, in the West, uh, the, the Roman Catholic Church, catch that? Used to be the Catholic Church. Now it's the Roman Catholic Church. They claim they are the only authority. Um, does that continue? No, just go to any. There's a bunch of denominations that will say, if you're not in our church, you're not in. You're not in the body of Christ. You're not saved. This is nothing new, not original. This has been a recurring problem throughout the Western Church. Um, uh, the Western Church becomes increasingly uh, becomes increasingly corrupt, um, and a Roman Catholic priest whose name is, you know this name, Martin Luther, is reading the book of Galatians. Kind of goofy that a priest would be reading the Bible. It was rare in those days. <laughs> and he realized that what the church was teaching is not what Paul was saying. That you are not saved because you were a member of the church, but you were saved because you were a member of the church. Well, catch that. He realized that you were not saved because you were a member of the church, you were saved because you're a member of the church. What am I saying? You're not saved because you're a member of the Catholic Church. You are saved because you have been baptized into the body of Christ through faith, through one spirit. And now then you are in the church. You're saved because you're in the church. The church, the body of Christ, not because you're in a church. You can be in a church and not be saved. Does that make sense? And so he realizes this. He voices his complaints. Um, he uh, is asked by the Roman Catholic Church what gives him the authority to go against the tradition of the church. And after a 24-hour time to think, he comes back and says, I'm not the one who has gone against the uh, tradition of the church. 
the church has reject, rejected its own tradition. And we must reform the church, form again, go back, rediscover what the church has always believed. Okay? Uh, well, what does that mean? That means we need to go back all the way back to East, West, the Catholic Church, uh, return to the once for all faith delivered to the saints, return to the doctrine of the church. And that's not what happens. What happens is a protest movement. Just as the first split at 1000 was a protest in the West, this protest in the West is going to continue and continue and continue. The problem, of course, in this continuing protestant movement is the question of authority. Where does authority lie? Over there in the East, the authority lies in the church because the church appeals, uh, the church appeals uh, to the faith, the, the, the word delivered to the church, to God. Over here, what does the Pope say? I'm the boss of me. Authority is going to lie in the individual. In the West, there's going to be rejection of kings is authoritative. Who's appointing kings over there? The church, right? Um, what does Paul say in, uh, in Romans chapter 14? Uh, submit yourself to governing authorities, right? Over here, no, rejection of kings, rejection of priests, rejection of the church, rejection of all authority except for me. There is no authority above the individual. One man, one vote. We the people. It's just gonna go right down. Now, this can be unsettling and I'm not saying that I'm for socialism. What I am saying is we need to understand how we got here in America, and not just America, but all the West. Okay. Um, now, so so we just throw all the cards on the table. Socialism. Uh, Karl Marx. This guy's an atheist monster. Okay? Well, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that. Um, that this is how we got to the place where we all have our own individual Bible and you think that your reading is authoritative. It's true for you. And that's the one thing that we fight at the seminary more than any other, that we have to recognize what the text is saying and then go back. This is why we teach church history. We understand how we got here. And so we must go back to actually the words of the apostles and prophets, the words of the church fathers, uh, and what uh, and what they ex uh, explain as what the church believes. Does that make sense? Okay. So you are all in one body through faith, and that body is the body of Christ. You are in Christ. Here's another tough pill to swallow, but we might as well just throw them all out there to get you to think about it. Can anyone name for me a way that you can serve Christ without serving his body.
said differently. You cannot, uh, well, let's say it this way. The only tangible relationship you have with the Lord, with Christ, is with his body. Because you've never seen Jesus. And you've never touched him. Never heard his voice. John saying it, not me. So I want you to messenger if you think you're hearing voices. Voices you're hearing are voices of the apostles. I can tell you where they're not coming from. So the way that we serve the Lord is by serving his body. Uh, when, a, when one of these little ones in his body is hungry, and you feed them, or thirsty, and you give them something to drink, or without shelter, and you give them some uh, place to live, and you stand before the Lord, and he says, thank you that when I was hungry, you fed me, and when I was thirsty, you gave me a drink, and when I was without shelter, you gave me a place to live, and you say, Lord, when did I do any of these things? And he says, when you did it to these least of these, the little ones of mine, you did it to me. That's what it means. Are there any places that you can think of in the Bible where you're told to pray for yourself? Yeah, and where is that? Well, that's y'all. That's for y'all. So it's not you singular. It's y'all. Remember what book that's in? Yeah. And so what's going on in Philippians? They're being, uh, they're suffering. Um, Paul's concerned uh, that they're going to leave the faith. Um, because of what's happening in their midst, and so he's telling them to let their, you know, their prayer. It's always corporate. It's always corporate. Pray for one another. Uh, and so much of our prayer has become me focused because our whole Western tradition is me focused. Now, we, we're not saying that. You, to, to enter into the body of Christ, you must do it individually through faith. Yeah, we're not saying that that's not the case. That is absolutely, you must believe. But now that you believe, you are now in Christ, in the body of Christ. You are a member. And the members of the body are to work together for the building up of the body, for works of service, until we all attain the unity of the two or man. So, if you get this, reading these epistles is going to be really easy. It's not going to bother you. Um, people selling their land uh, to provide for their brethren is not going to sound like socialism to you. It's going to sound like they care for their brother. All right? Tracking, just making sense to you. Okay. That's how we got here. 
well, that's how we got here in church history. I'm not sure how we got here in this discussion. <laughs> Catholic. <laughs> good. Okay, good. So now we know. Okay, so Catholic means what? Universal. Yeah, the whole church. Roman Catholic means we've gone down the trail of, you know, crazy land, right? And so it continues. Uh, the church splits, the church splits, the church splits, and now you've got, you know, PCA, PCUSA, SPCA, whatever. Uh, Presbyterians, you got Methodists, you got Wesleyans. Why, why aren't the Wesleyans Methodists? You've got this Senate and that Senate, and I'm going to Missouri Senate. Is that, what, you know, is that, is that in Missouri? And do they only have two senators, or is that something else? What's going on with that? And then we, it just goes, continues on and on and on. And so basically, we don't like you. You're not the boss of me. I'm going to go start my own church, and I'm going to take people with me who agree with me until they don't agree with me. And guess what they're going to do? They're going to pitch a fit, and they're going to go start their own church. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, first Baptist, second Baptist, third Baptist, <laughs> independent Baptist, independent, independent movement. All you other people, tired of y'all. Start my own church. So, uh, so anyway, that's how we get it. Question. So, Yeah, and and they would say that they are the the only church. Be nice if you do that. Nothing wrong with it. With the Nicene Creed, yeah. um, if you don't believe it, you know what you're called a uh, heretic. You know, we almost you... never hear about it. No, because we're Baptists, and Baptists. But but now we've gone down the trail of Southern Southern Baptist. Get this, I love I love the logic. Here. This is one. Uh, the Southern Baptists say we are not a creedal people, it, which becomes our creed. Yeah. Our creed is we have no other creeds. I'm going. <laughs> Law of non-contradiction. You know how this works. What's that? I don't know. Let that sink in. If that doesn't bother you, then there's no hope for you. Good luck. All right. All right. Yeah. Pray for the pray for yourselves. Yeah, you know, pray for yourselves that y'all will not undergo temptation. How did that go for them? First, they all deserted. Yeah, many restores. His point was it's kind of saying yourself. Yeah. Uh, point is, if you've got a struggle to find a pray for yourself verse, and then all the others are pray for one another verses, maybe that ought to guide our understanding of how we are to pray. Maybe we ought to pray for our le ourselves less and one another more. Just a thought. That's what yesterday. 
uh, Lord, uh, help these other people realize how stupid they are and how smart they are. Okay, no, that one doesn't count. That's not what we're talking about, okay? So, so we've got to clarify as we go. <laughs> help these other people to realize I'm the only one who has half a foot. No, 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 that's not, that's not what we're doing, okay? All right, no, bear one another's burdens. Um, I can't resist this because it, uh, and, and if you can, it, why does it say pray for one another and bear one another's burdens? If those, if those are the same thing, then why say it differently? Those are not the same thing. Bear one another's burdens. If you can help them, you don't need to pray for them. You don't need to pray about giving, uh, you know, water to someone who's thirsty. That's in your power. Do it. Someone's moving. You have a truck. Pray Sell your truck. <laughs> Sell your truck. Sell your truck. <laughs> what did you think was going to happen when you bought the truck? <laughs> yeah. Does that make sense? So if it is in your power to do it, do it. That doesn't even take prayer. How I learned that. Um, I've probably told you this story. Uh, one of our uh, professors' name was Ken Hanna, Doc Hanna. He had just moved to town. Uh, we were at a church where we needed an uh, interim pastor. They had asked me if I'd help find one. I went to class that night and asked Doc Hanna. He didn't know our church from anything. We never heard of it. The Doc, we're a little church called Redeemer Community Church. We need a, a, a interim pastor. Would you consider... Uh, doing it. He said, yeah, I'll do it. He said, you don't need to pray about that? He goes, you know, you were a member of that. yeah, yeah. He said, I said, um, you don't need to pray about that? He goes, some things you don't have to pray about. Huh. Yeah, that stuck with, uh, that's not very spiritual. <laughs> <laughs> to not pray about things that you can do you use it? No. Scripture's clear. Do it. Do it. You pray about that one. Do it. Now, if you want to not do it, then. You can say, yeah, what did Swindoll tell you about? Yeah, Dr. Swindoll, I asked him, I said, what if you think you're supposed to be a pastor? He said, um, pray. You need to pray. I said, well, what do I pray? He says, Pray that the Lord would remove that desire from your heart as far as the east is from the west. <laughs> I said, um, well, Doc, what if you pray and he doesn't remove that desire as far as the east is from the west? He says, he looks at me and he goes, pray again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a, not a good job. But anyway, okay, back to chapter 21. Okay, so we good? All right, so this is the culmination of all of this history. New heavens, new earth, all things have, this is not a different earth. This is a remade earth. In what way is it remade? What is not here? There's no sin, there's no sickness, there's no sorrow, there's no suffering, there's no adversary, and there's no domain for him. Okay. Um, so this new, this new Jerusalem, holy city, coming down. Um, uh, for he who overcomes shall inherit these things, chapter 21, verse 7. And I will be his God, 
and he will be my son. Okay? Um, because you're a in the body of the son, one man, one woman, one flesh. You're in the body of Christ. Uh, but uh, for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all the liars for their part, uh, they will be in the lake of, uh, that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. What's the second death? Do you remember? Who undergoes the first death? And? Everyone. Everyone. Um, yeah, except yeah, except for those who are raptured. That's right. Um, it, 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 unless you're rat or, or Enoch, okay, we'll throw Enoch in there too. Uh, but uh, and and they are into the kingdom. They they are raised, and they will those who uh, are raised or transformed, trans, uh, you know, to their new body, they will never undergo the second death. Uh, yeah, Lazarus is, a, yeah, he's an ass. Uh, his, both his first deaths, both of his first deaths were the first death. <laughs> I, I wonder if Lazarus, that, this is things I was thinking, I wonder if Lazarus, after he was raised, he was like, really? <laughs> Explain how you're helping me here, Jesus. You're resurrecting me, you be back with this mess and these people and this, dealing with the same stuff. Yeah. It's good to see him all again, but. Oh, it was better up there in being with the, with the Lord. Anyway, okay, uh, the second death. Uh, they die, physical death, resurrection, second death in the lake of fire. And the one of the seven angels who had seven, uh, uh, seven bowls full of the seven plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, <coughs> having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like the very costly stone, the stone of a crystal clear jasper, and they had a great and high wall with twelve gates, and the twelve gates, uh, uh, and at the twelve gates, twelve angels, and the names of the uh, were written upon them which are the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones. And on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a uh, gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its wall. And the city is laid out in a square with a link uh, and it's, uh, uh, as is its width, and it measured the city of the rod 1,500 miles, um, and its length and its uh, height and its width were equal. And he measured uh, its wall, 72 yards, according to human measurement. All of these measurements have been converted into English Okay. Yeah. Not yeah, yeah, yeah. They weren't using metric, uh, and, and they weren't using. Yeah, no. This is. Uh, these are conversions for your translation. Um, 
uh, which are uh, angelic measurements. And the, uh, the material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold, clear glass, and the foundation stones of the city were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper, the second sapphire, the third, and so on. Uh, all of these uh, you find back in Genesis chapter 2, interestingly, or at least most of them. And the 12 gates were the 12, uh, uh, were 12 pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl, and the, city of the, uh, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass, and I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need for the sun or the moon to shine upon it. For the glory of God illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. And the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. And in night time, for there shall be no more night, gates will never be closed. And there shall be, uh, they shall bring their glory and honor of the nations into it, and nothing unclean, and no one who does abomination or lying uh, shall ever come in, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Okay? So uh, so this is where the story's headed, to the new heavens and the new earth. Last week, we'll, uh, next week, we'll finish with chapter 22. Okay? And then uh, we will, um, we need to go, we'll go back through Revelation one more time and make sure we've got all the, all the parts. Uh, in reading this, you will, it will force you to get your, if you read the end, if you read the beginning and you read the end, and you know the middle connects to the beginning to the end, then when you're in the middle, you need to be asking, how does this get me to the end? Does that make sense? Right? It'll really guide you along. Uh, instead of principalizing the text or making it say something that's just irrelevant. Okay? Um, from after the fall to the return of Christ, to the establishment of the kingdom, and then the, the uh, new heavens and new earth, the reason why people were to live the way they were to live during this time in the middle was because the king was coming. They looked forward to eternal life. They worked, looked forward uh, to resurrection from the dead. Does that make sense? Any questions in chapter 21? There's probably boatloads, but um, at least generally you understand what's going, going on. Okay, one more thing, and we'll finish chapter 22 next week. And before we go back, I want to talk about um, the components, the, the kind of the moving parts, uh, because if you didn't grow up in a, uh, well, uh, who knows? If you grew up in a, in a, in a your typical church, most typical churches don't do a lot of teaching on eschatology. Uh, and, but there are some terms that you've probably heard, terms like rapture, kingdom, amillennialism. Um, if you've been around this discussion in a little more in depth, you will hear terms that refer to the, the timing of the rapture, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, rapture. Um, we'll talk about that. Uh, millennial reign of Christ or amillennialism. We'll talk about that. Uh, what else uh, do we need to, to cover? Uh, the tribulation. 
uh, is the tribulation uh, a literal seven-year tribulation, or is it an age of tribulation? We'll talk about that. So we'll talk about how um, many denominations handle these things, why they handle them this way, uh, and hopefully it'll make, make more sense. Yeah, the, yeah, does yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll we'll talk about tribulation and how how different denominational groups understand that. And what we're going to say is the best way to interpret the Bible is to sound out the big words and read it, okay? And let our understanding come from the text rather than starting with the conclusion and going back to try to justify our conclusions in the, in the text. Is that good? Make sense? We're tracking. Um, if you are uh, Presbyterian, Methodist, uh, Lutheran, Catholic, you've probably been all all in one camp or have been taught one certain way of uh, of viewing end times. We'll we'll interact with that. Feel free to ask questions. Um, I was talking with one of our PhD students this week. He, um, he took a hermeneutics exam. Uh, and so me and another professor, we said, you know, he's, he's okay, but let's, let's go ahead and, to fail it is to not get a B minus. Let's go ahead and fail him and let's let him take it again because we need to have a discussion. And I talked to him this week and he said, um, and as we were talking, he said, can I ask you some questions? I said, sure. He said, um, some of these terms, that these books are using talking about hermeneutics. Um, I don't know what they mean. The book just begins assuming that we know what these, these terms are. And I, I just don't know what they are. He said, can you explain it to him? And after, I said, sure, of course. After I explained it to him, he's like, oh, this makes sense. Okay, I got it. Well, he just wasn't ready to ask because he thought hey, these students are supposed to know this. Well, ask. Um, if you don't know, ask. How about that? And if I don't know, I'll go find out. I, I wouldn't ask tables, but there's some people. Some, some people I got access to people uh, who I can ask. And, right? So take advantage of, of, if there's ever a question here, just ask. I doubt you'll ask me a question I haven't heard before. Not because I've just been doing this long enough or everybody's thinking the same thing. So if you're thinking it, Ask it. It's not the first time that probably anybody's ever asked this question. Right? So let's get it. Get it answered. That makes sense. Thank you. Good. Okay. Online. We all good. I will see you next Sunday. I will be teaching. I haven't told you this. We've talked about it separately. I'll be in Dallas Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday night, Friday. Uh, back here somewhere. So if I can sound out big words by the time I get back here, if I can sound out any words by the time I get back here, I will see you next Sunday. Good? Chick, would you close the word of prayer?